It sounds very official. No, it's just a piece of information that I wanted to have. Uh-oh. What's happening? Did I forget? Did Buzz leave? Um, Did I lose you guys? Not sure. In the green air podcast. FC Dallas Curious Fan, welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Seattle 1, Dallas 0, season over. So is this the penultimate episode or the final episode? And to make that decision, I'm joined by my two good friends. First off, of course, the ever high energy Dan Crook. Hey, Dan. Year round, let's go. And yes, of course, everybody's hero, founder, editor of thirddegree.net. If they can't beat them, they just rip him off. The good, sweet, clean Buzz Carrick. Hello, Buzz. Hello, Peter. I have some uh, positive news for the podcast. We have sold another advertisement. <gasps> I know. Man, we are swimming. Sw- when do I get my check? Uh, you get free lunch tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As soon as we still turn turn a profit. Okay, so here, are you ready? Okay, I got to read it. There's actually a thing. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. 40% off site-wide for all Third Degree podcast listeners with promo code thirddegree on soccer90.com. Pretty exciting. Wow, that is actually cool. Now, is it the number 3RD degree or is it the word third? The number 3RD, just like the website, 3RD degree on soccer90.com. And in the future, Peter, I will let you read these because you're the for, professional radio for, guy, but I for, wanted to read the first one. I'll even do it in my special radio voice. <laughs> yeah. Sound um, like you have a cold. Well, I have to put uh, some EQ on it and everything and some reverb. It, it totally <laughs> rocks, Dan. So it's 40% off, really? Yeah, 40% off with that code for all your all the listeners of the podcast. And uh, now, it's exciting times. This doesn't make us officially uh, shills for the organization, no. does it? No, no that's that the manscaped the f- one that, that, that makes us shills. <laughs> that was the first thing I said to them is that we had to attain 100% editorial control. And they, they agree to that. They just like what we do and wanted to help us out. So uh, it was very nice of them. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I know it feels like to the listener we are avoiding the conversation at hand. But as I said before, the season is now over. Dallas goes to Seattle. And once again, for what, now the seventh straight playoff appearance losing to a team from the pacific northwest is that correct uh is it date back to 2014 i think that is correct yeah this was the sixth meeting in seven years i think no what uh, i'm saying yeah right oh. i think dating back to 2014 there is there is a year where they missed the playoffs altogether they have lost in the playoffs dating back seven years now to a team from the pacific northwest yeah i think that's right yeah it's like the last time they didn't was 2011 uh yeah 11 all right so i don't know about you guys uh to me it just feels like another year of uh disappointment this has been going on now for 25 years and as i explained to a friend of mine the other day who's not uh you know not necessarily a fan but is aware of my plight um i just described to him i kind of feel like now i'm in a loveless and sexless marriage with this team and uh i don't know where else to go with it from there well you know, I, th- I think if you are going to be around this team for any long period of time, you sort of have, as I have certainly, resigned yourself to the fact that this team is what it is by now. I mean, certainly 25 years in, 
I think you would have come to expect it to be what it is. I mean, until the owners change their ways and, and right. spend money in a different way, this is right. what and you're going to get. Right. And that sounds like a loveless and sexless yeah. marriage. <laughs> well, you know, that you have to embrace it in a, in a sense or it's going to drive you crazy. You know? Right. But, uh, you know, if uh, but in those relationships, you love the person. You're just not in love with the person. Mm. Get yeah, it? Maybe that's true. Yeah. So uh, it was, uh, it, you know, here's the thing. I, you can't watch the performance in Seattle and walk away and went, hey, they gave it their best shot. They tried really hard. And um, it's not like they went to Seattle and, and crapped the bed. They just, they just weren't as good a team as Seattle is, right? I mean, that's really the fair read on the entire thing. Yeah, I mean, that's the bottom line is that the, a lesser team went to the home field of a better team. And if you accept that that's the reality of the moment and you stay in the moment, then I walked away feeling pretty positive about the performance. I was not upset. I was not angry. I enjoyed the game. I thought Dallas played pretty well. You know, like I said, I, I a long time ago resigned myself to the fact that this is what this team is and what this franchise is. So if you accept that, then you can enjoy the game. Yeah. So, Dan, before we get into the specifics of the game, uh, considering that, you know, if you compare this 1-0 loss in regulation to last year's 4-3 loss in extra time, do you have a preference for one over the other? I mean, personally, I'd, I'd take the the 1-0. I'd, I'd think losing, uh, conceding four goals is a big no-no. I know a lot of people are like, yeah, but attacking soccer and goals and... Yeah, but I would much rather see, oh, look, really nice, tight defense. Really try to handicap the team. So, Buzz, let's uh, break down the game in particular. Uh, what are your biggest takeaways from uh, Seattle 1, Dallas 0? Well, uh, the things that I really took away from the game had to do with the lineup and the tactics because, as always, I'm trying to think about where Lucci might go in the future and what the game says about where the team is and that kind of thing. And I think it's fairly telling that towards the end of this season, um, and Michael Barrios has ended up on the bench that, um, and the, when it really, really mattered, Jesus ended up on the bench and Tanner Tessman ended up starting, uh, and ended up starting in a double eight look with Andres Ricarte. And as also an eight, even if it's the more attacking eight, it's still the eight. So, um, I, I think that that's pretty dang telling. Uh, at the end, I think the entire offense was not good enough. Um, even with Ryan up front, I didn't think he had a very good game. Um, Fafa was better than he'd been most of the season, but still not enough. And the and the and the striker was not enough. And so, my big takeaway is is there's going to have to be changes if you want to try and take a step forward. If you try and stay the same in this league, and this is a different podcast, but th- this is the big takeaway. If you if you sit pat on this team. You're going to finish mid-table or worse because everyone else is going to get better. You have to change things. And the thing that was not good enough all year and the thing that was not good enough in this game was the offense. You know, uh, Smetzer said after the game, and this has been largely quoted, that really the difference between the two teams came down to a set piece. And so my question uh, for either one of you, Dan, I'll let you go first. Did, Did Lucci set this team up correctly for this game? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you think how big and scary that that attacking lineup is, the, the big front three of uh, Jordan Morris, Raul Rui Diaz, and, and Nico Ladera. I'd even stretch it to Jovian Jones because he's destroyed FC Dallas before. Uh, he sh- you know, FC Dallas shut them down completely. That's yeah. insane. 
Yeah, and Hedges agreed with you, Dan, and, and I do too. I think he got the lineup correct. You know, when you have Nelson in there uh, who plays tighter with Brisson, that that makes Brisson better. And so the whole defense was pretty collectively good and kept um, uh, Seattle to only two shots on goal. Um, you know, 14 shots for a home team is not not amazingly high. That's about normal. So that's kind of par for the course. They they did a fairly good job of, of limiting Seattle's real opportunities. So that's positive. So, hmm. um, you know, the, the, the letdowns were in a couple individual performances that exposed Dallas, you know, particularly on the, the Dallas right side, which we'll get back to later. So um, team wise, I think the concept was right because they didn't mid block and counter. They would have gotten shredded. If they did that, they tried to come and play the double eight look with two guys that can play possession soccer in the midfield was a big advantage. Um, and help them uh, be able to attempt to play in the game and try and uh, and get up and down with Seattle, which is not easy to do. Yeah, it's funny, and this is this was a great uh, piece of evidence of how everybody sees uh, the sport differently and performances differently and overall kind of themes of a game. Um, I don't normally pay attention too much from what the, the stuff the league puts out in terms of content, but I did happen to watch the Extra Time video that – uh, Zoom video of the four guys from the league discussing the game, and I was, I was fascinated by Matt Doyle's take because of the four, he was the only one that actually enjoyed the game, thought it was a good soccer game. But I was also surprised that Doyle was a very strong opinion that Dallas sat back and just defended for most of the game. And uh, and and so my question uh, to you guys is: One, did you think it was a good game of soccer? And two, what? How do you think Dallas uh, – what was Dallas's attitude towards this game? Well, I thought it was a good game. I definitely enjoyed it. Um, you know, there were several matchups I was looking forward to, and I thought that there was some pretty good skill on display. There wasn't a high degree of, like, high-end connective possession by either team. Seattle doesn't really play that way. They play a little more direct. Dallas tries to play that way, but on the road they're really bad at it. You know, and they ended up with a pretty balanced team going both ways. So, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the game. I thought um, it was fun. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's, uh, it's one of the few games I'd probably rewatch. Uh, you know, there were, there were some nice spells of, of pressing and, and high, mm-hmm. uh, high pressure from, from both teams kind of taking it in turn. It was, it was like a good boxing match, like a, a very back and forth thing. And no, FC Dallas absolutely did not just sit back i mean i think you could you could argue they probably you know had the better of the first half and you know like schmetzer was right on what you said you know one set piece made all the difference because if it wasn't o'neill it could have been that one where brassan had the free header at the front post and then for whatever reason just chested it forward and and the defender puts it out it you know it could have been uh the centre back making the the great stop on the follow up from um, Andres Ricarte when Stefan Fry was scrambling with absolutely no chance of getting to the ball. Um, it, it was it was a game of inches when it came down to it. Yeah, when you consider that you're talking about a road team after Dallas weathered the initial storm, you know for the whole game they ended up with like 47, 48 percent possession. For a road team, that's pretty good. That's pretty even play. So you know they definitely had good stretches where 
they had the ball in the other end. And there was even moments where I thought, wow, this is this is really nice watching Dallas pass the ball around on the front end and try and get forward. Now, you can defend in a midsection of the field without being like in a complete bunker encounter kind of situation. So there's a big difference. So I think, uh, you know, getting into individual player performances, I have a sense that there is a, uh, a, a, a difference of opinion between me and I think the both of you over who had the better game. I'm of the impression that I thought Tanner Tessman was probably the best player on the midfield for the team, and I think you guys think Ricarte was. Who's right, who's wrong? Well, I'm going to say you're wrong, obviously, because you disagree with me. <laughs> but, um, you know, for me, Ricarte was the closest player that came to unlocking the Seattle defense. You know, he had four key passes, which is a, a big metric for, you know, making a play that will give you a scoring opportunity. He's four for four on dribbles. You know, he had some good defensive interceptions at eight recoveries. He had five crosses, and he was basically all over the field. So, I thought he was the most interesting player. Now, that being said, I did think Tanner was very good. He was very calm and composed, and he did a nice job linking play, and he and he does this great turn away from pressure to find little switches in midfield that can open up a team. He did that again. That was really nice. But he had maybe five moments where he was too calm, and Seattle has this deal where they well, they quickly pounce and pressure anything that's loose at home, it's really noticeable that they they get to everything a split second faster than the opposition does. And there were about five times that that cost Tanner where he was a little too casual and he had three turnovers where somebody just took the ball off of him and then he had three more times where he fumbled a touch, basically, they got a turnover. So those five or six moments for me, granted, you're talking about a 19-year-old kid playing in playoff pressure in Seattle. I mean, it's still a very good game. It's just those tiny little moments. So 95% good with five little moments of bad. All right. So my, my counter argument to that is tied up in, in bits and pieces of what you just talked about, which is, uh, first off, I'm fairly certain without looking at the numbers, you could find almost similar identical turnover or loss of ball numbers for both Ricarte and Santos, who both of which are veteran, older, highly paid uh, South American players. Tanner's just a kid <laughs> from the area or from the from the academy uh, and at a teenage year. And I think the return on value uh, was uh, really significant. And the thing that I really like about what Tanner does with the ball is exactly what you talked about, Buzz, because I don't even know if Ricarte did this much in the game, which is get the ball, get in pressure, and figure out a way to unlock and move into space before he decides to do something else with the ball. And he did that repeatedly throughout the game, uh, just on, based on the naked eye kind of eyeball test of it. And and that is an element to his game that I think is similar to what Paxton brings to this team, except Paxton will carry a ball for a much further distance in a much more attacking kind of way. And I really enjoyed that out of Tanner. And I thought he his kind of level-headedness, along with the really sweet little uh, backflip he gave to Ryan that almost set up the best opportunity for the team uh, in the game, uh, was really highlights for me in his performance. And I was disappointed and surprised he got taken off when he did because I thought he was one of the team's better players. Yeah, he had um, – Tiago Santos had, was dispossessed once and Ricardo twice – um, and and there's no way that stat is correct because I swear I counted at least three, if not four, for each of those guys. But I maybe I judge dispossessions yeah. differently than the stats guys do. Well, no, it's a fair take, and your your comment about the value of a 19 year old is on point for sure. I'll tell you a funny side story. When he did that heel flick, 
I was like, I made some sort of positive sort of noise. And my dad who was watching me said, says, I hate heel flicks. And then they proceed to ping it off the post with their best, whatever it was, their best chance. And I was like, still hate them, you know? So that was funny. <laughs> but um, maybe we'll, we'll let Dan be the decider. Dan, you want to weigh in on Ricardo Tessman? I mean, they were 1A, 1B. Uh, they were both right there. Um, I did think that Tanner kind of hit the, the rookie wall a bit later in the game and just before he got taken off. So kind of sort of sense in, in, in pulling him. Um, although, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, then Santos is uh, limping around. So, uh, you know, maybe a, a tired Tessman can add a bit more bite um, for those few minutes. Uh, you know, I, I definitely thought Ricarte more so was going to have the larger impact on the game just with the chances that he was creating and all the, you know, the opportunities for a chance, I should say. Um, but yeah, um, when Tanner's playing out of pressure and they're playing dual A, it's, it's, well, does she know they, yeah. Um, it's kind of like, you know, how much of that, that, pass out of pressure is creating the opportunity for Ricarte to, to create something for somebody else. Uh, yeah. It did lead me to think that we should go into next season ex- hoping or expecting, or at least I hope that Tessman Ricarte and that Dulé combo is, th- is the, the first choice midfield over Acosta, for example. Well, then where does Paxton go? Well, that's a different question. That's a hard question to answer. Probably the bench, unless you want to play him as a false wing. But wait, Holy that's crap. a question for next week. Yeah, that's a different podcast, Peter. We'll oh, come back so, to that. So this is the penultimate episode. We had yet to answer that question that I opened with. Okay, so well, we're going to do podcasts all winter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe you're not, but we're, uh, <laughs> we're third degree. The podcast will continue every week. Okay. <laughs> Weekly uh, special, just like during the, the COVID. Okay. Um, so, uh, all right. So we kind of, I guess we'll, uh, I, I think we all agree that both of those guys had uh, generally good games. I, I think my only yeah. criticism of Ricarte is... You know, as good as I think that guy can be, I'm still not 100% sold. I understand what his ultimate value to this team is because, again, I- I'm not sure if the lack of Ricarte uh, creating assists or creating opportunities is um, – how do I explain this? Is this a byproduct of everything else that's wrong with this team's attack or is Ricarte himself part of the problem with this team's attack? And I – and. And I just, I, I'm, I'm still not a thousand percent sold that Ricarte is as great as everybody thinks he is. Well, that's a totally fair question. You know, the offense is not good enough. So, you know, hopefully there's going to be some changes and then we'll find out, you know, don't forget too, in terms of who's going to play where or whatever, next year is a very heavy load for the US of A, you know, with the Olympics and national team qualifiers and blah, blah. So, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of flux and rotation in all these midfield positions with some of these young guys. Oh sure, yeah, absolutely, and and um, I you know I we've said it before. There was one other player that had a debut or performance that was signed, and that was Brian Acosta. And we've basically seen nothing out of that guy since then. So I just hope it's not the same fate for Andres Ricarte. I hope we see more out of that guy, and they figure out the way to use it. Because what's interesting is is that a lot of the people that aren't locally watching this team on a local level all seem to think that Ricarte is some sort of high. Uh, advanced playing midfielder. And I think we've all come to understand that that's not really his best position. No, he it definitely is not. You definitely have to play him deep as an, you know, you can, you can be a playmaker from a deep position. That's a different discussion, you know, but he definitely is a player that needs to be deep. 
I think. I think he's been excellent, you know, in every way that you can measure a guy when the forwards all stink. But, you know, we'll find out. Okay. Well, let's move on to somebody else. And I thought this was uh, really uh, one of the biggest talking points out of this game because, Buzz, you had even uh, mentioned it in the in the lead-up to the game that you were really fascinated to watch how the battle between Brian Reynolds and Jordan Morris turned out. And I came away from the game thinking, whoever fed Buzz the news about Brian's pending deal potentially with Juve uh, told Buzz that news too early because he didn't do that kid any favors uh, uh, by putting everybody's eyes and attention on him for what turned out to be for probably his worst performance in this team's jersey as a pro. Yeah, he got hit hard early and then was pretty tentative uh, from then on getting into physical confrontations, which, you know, understandable. I get it. You know, there's a lot of weight on that kid now. And he's been pretty good with it up until this point. Um, the one grain of salt that we put in his corner is that um, Ryan Hollingshead was playing as a, you know, inside out sort of wing in front of him, but did not do, which is odd given why he was in there. I did not think he did the defensive portion of his duties because the the right back for um, – uh, uh, Seattle, whose name I never can remember, uh, Tolo, Tolo, whatever his name is, Tolo, um, was just unmarked completely. And so Brian Reynolds essentially ended up with that guy and, and Jordan Morris basically running at him over and over in, in a double overload the whole game. And Brian had to try and run the length of the field all game with both of those guys. And so he was a little bit dogged with that part. And then he's trying to man mark Morris, who's one of the better attackers in the league. So he did not have a very good game. Reynolds didn't defensively speaking. And it wasn't until, I don't know if you guys noticed hedges said something to him at halftime, talked to him a little bit. And Brian got better. I thought in the second half about releasing forward and being more effective, particularly once Barrios came in when Ryan has, Brian has a comfort level with Barrios. Um, not that Barrios plays defense either. Cause he doesn't, but at that point Seattle was winning. So Brian didn't know. Brian did not have a good game. Uh, I, I'm not as harsh as I think you guys are because of that overload that was happening. Well, I, my my criticism is just based on the on the instances where he was literally one on one on Jordan Morris, and and Jordan just seemed to just whiz by him without much uh, problem uh, multiple times. I, I get, and we should talk more about you know yeah. what Ryan was doing wrong. Um, and I was unaware that he had taken a knock early in the game. That's news to me that I guess. Well, not a knock. He just got hit, had a really heavy contact. Ah, okay. So I, I, that's just my, my, I I just, I watched this game and I was thinking the entire time that is a kid that's got the weight of his career on his shoulders at absolutely the wrong time based on the way he was performing that game versus every other game I've watched him this season. Yeah, he, he looked like he kept trying to set up um, to give Morris the end line to make him go to Morris's left, basically, and go towards the end uh, because knowing that he would have defensive help in the middle. And Morris, of course, always wants to cut to the middle. So then Brian was trying to spin and was obviously late, and there's some help defense in there that he was expecting. So he was protecting himself for the end line and cross and leaving himself open to the middle, and that was going on all night long. And you're right. I think Morris beat him like four or five times to the middle, which isn't a good look, but theoretically, Tessman and Hedges are both supposed to be there to help cover that up a little bit. Um, but you're right; it was a moment of uh, that Reynolds didn't have a great game when probably the, the most people were watching. Yeah. So, Dan, uh, in your football consultancy for uh, teams, are you still advising Juve to spend seven million on Brian Reynolds? I mean, with a bit of bias. Um, no, I mean, you know, you want to look at uh, it's his potential, that's his value. 
not a bad game or you know a game where you know it's i think in a way you discount it um you know he's a player who's anticipating a move anticipating having to pass a medical and you know so it wasn't overly surprising to see him start pulling out of headers and 50-50s and you know, once uh, mm. once he's getting forward and knew who just blasts past him to not think, okay, I'm going to really go and challenge and, and probably get an elbow or something like that. I mean, it's, it's tough because as a contracted player, you want to see him go lights out. But, you know, that's, that's not the way the world works, unfortunately. Moving on to the other player that I thought had a uh, performance worth discussing would be one Franco Hara. And I, I, I'm really interested to know if anybody has an opinion on where Luchi Gonzalez really... If you were to get Luchi super drunk at a hotel one night and asked him his real opinion on Franco Hara and put the truth serum in him, what do we think he would say? Well, the one thing he said post game, and, and I and I always find this to be a really telling quote, is he said that Hara left it all out on the field, and I think that's what you say about somebody who had an absolutely crap game, but yet they tried hard. So it's like, you know, what he didn't say was that Hara played well or that he was really effective or Manny almost had one. He was like, he played, he tried hard, you know. So I mean, that always makes me worry. He just kind of came out and said it at the start. It was no like there was nothing leading up to it. Yeah, it's just, I, I think Lucci is not dumb. You know, he watches these games and sees the same thing that we all see when a guy's playing bad. You know, he says very political, very appropriate, long-winded quotes about how everybody's a family and we're all trying hard, you know, and we, we trust everybody, blah, blah. He says all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think he, I don't think he for a minute would, in a private conversation or in a drunk conversation, would try and claim that Hara was any good. Because he wasn't. But uh, when it's the owner's uh, chosen target, you're kind of stuck with them. Okay, but let me let me kind of um, uh, take a spin on what Lucci says. Is it not unfair to say that a player put it all out there, but that doesn't necessarily mean they had a good game? No, I think that's totally what it means, is that he, he didn't have a good game and didn't know what else to say about him except he put it all out there. Yeah, because my my eyeball observation was is I thought Hara worked fairly hard. I I just one I don't understand what what value Hara has as a striker. He he, he I, I don't know what he's good at as a player because he's not he, he's not a he's not a striker that gets the ball and goes at defenders. He doesn't necessarily uh, have any skill set that I've seen to create space for himself to make shots. Um, he's not a you know he, 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 I don't know I, I'm not and I'm certainly not uh, of any kind of mind that he's the right guy for this team but I think he's I think they're stuck with him I mean I agree with all that like you're 100% on the money in this game he had five touches that you'd call in the box of the one of them's borderline you know one of them ended up in a shot but all five of them are way over on the left edge of the penalty box like he's playing left wing he doesn't have any touches inside the box or in the final third frankly other than over on the left edge in the wing and where Fafa Pico should be. So it's like, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. It's like you're sending in, he had like four or five crosses. It's like, why is your nine crossing the ball? It's, I don't really get it. I don't, okay. it's like a total mismatch on my, my mind. But, but this, is a, the, this is a criticism that goes back to Oscar and Blas Perez and Maxi Arruti and Jesus Ferreira and Cobra 
Um, and everybody else that's played the nine position for this team for the last several years, which is they never seem to be able to get a guy in the box. And at some point, do we all look at each other and go, maybe it's the system and the way they're being coached and not necessarily the players? Well, if it hadn't been a different coach, I might agree with you. It's a different coach, you know? I mean, it's a different... You're talking about like a 10-year yeah, span. I mean, people change and adapt okay, mechanics. But, but but Cobra wasn't Cobra wasn't popping up in the box all the time and, he, and, and, and any kind of numerically significant more amount than, than Hara does. Well, are you, are you claiming that FC Dallas as an organization has a complete and utter failure to ever play somebody as a real nine? I mean, it, that's ridiculous. Uh, tell me the last quality, uh, high-scoring, you know, multiple uh, goal season nine they've had on this team. Well, that's an inability to buy a proper player. That's not because somebody's coaching a, or a system that doesn't uh, use nines. Okay, that's the answer to my. That's the, That's an answer to the question I'm looking for. So it's not the system. It's just that they're crappy at getting the players to play the system properly. Well, of course it is. Okay. I didn't know. I'm asking the question. You know, <laughs> I, I thought that would pretty, be pretty obvious. You're talking about a whole bunch of guys. I mean, one of the reasons Oscar left was the fact that he could never get anybody to buy him a damn nine. Okay, but I guess what I'm pressing you for is what is it that Hara's not any good at that they need the team needs him to do? Like, what is Hara not doing, Buzz, that he needs to be doing? Well, he needs to play as a nine. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty simple. I'm you know? asking, there, what does there that... There are a few <laughs> times that Pico oh. put a ball exactly where you'd expect to see Hara, and then Hara's, for some unknown reason, trying to hold Pico's hand out on the left wing or the right wing at a time. And you're like... Why? Yeah, I'm not trying. I'm, I think I'm over. Sim- I'm, I think I'm asking you a much more basic kind of fundamental question for everybody listening to the pod. But just what what is it he's not mm. doing as a to to be a proper number nine? Like what specifically is right. he not doing? Well, specifically, if you want to be a nine, you have to be able to get into the box and be in position to score goals. Now, this includes your ability to play in combination in the box. It includes your ability to be able to finish across. It also includes your ability to put away a rebound, you have to be in the proper position. And if you're not in the proper position, which Maxi Maruti never was, that Hara never is, Cobra was better at that than anybody they've had of late. But if you want to see what a nine looks like, go back and dig out tapes of, um, and, and this team specifically, Ariel Graziani knew how to play as a nine. Yeah. Jeff Cunningham knew how to play as a nine. Now, both of those guys are very sort of direct over the top nines. Like Graziani wasn't a post-up nine, but he still was a nine you know I mean, there are classic examples of nines all over the world that are amazing at what they do like Al- alan shear is the prototypical example now FC Dallas can't afford that guy guys that play like the level that we would like a player to play here are very expensive they're not free you know the last guy that we had here that was really a nine was probably uh ruiz carlos ruiz you know, since then, there's been nobody here that plays like you should play. Everyone here plays like a false nine or an off striker. And in particular, Lucci's system, this 4-3-3 doesn't work, I don't think, with a false nine. Dan, do you want to throw anything else in there? Well, I mean, this, I think one thing is, and you kind of alluded to it, of not finding the right players, even if it's the nine itself is is too difficult to get it's it's going to be you need to find the players to get the ball to the to that nine whether it's in the you know in the the traditional high nine position or or getting them just in some place where they can have some some success and you know i was looking at 
people always complain about FC Dallas doesn't spend, and it's not that FC Dallas doesn't spend, it's that FC Dallas doesn't spend correctly. Um, Nico Ladero, perfect example, cost Seattle six million, hundred and forty three games, forty three goals, forty six assists. Uh, FC Dallas, that is Christian Coleman, Brian Acosta, Pablo Aranguiz, and Santiago Mascara combined for six million. 177 appearances. Okay, great. A couple more. 23 goals, so 20 less, and 11 assists, so significantly fewer. Yeah, all it is is it's just smart spending. Um, Diego Valeri, another great example. He cost Portland $3 million. Yeah, FC Dallas has a nine, Peter. He's just 17 years old. Yeah, and and I I get that, and I and I do wonder what that means for next season. Um, I mean, I would have started Pepe in this game if I'm a coach over Hara, but you know, it's easy for me to say that I'm not the one getting paid four hundred thousand dollars a year to make that choice, and I'm the one that has Dan Hook calling me every five minutes asking why my million dollar player's not playing. Yeah, I'm you not know. sure. I'm not sure Lucci's making four hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, I just figured four hundred thousand was probably the lowest paid coach in the league, and that probably was Lucci. But maybe it's even less than that. <laughs> Maybe it's two hundred. <laughs> I uh, poor Lucci. Uh, guy doesn't deserve this. You know, it's funny. Uh, you know, s- s- I think there was uh, some back and forth on the social media about kind of the observation uh, from the non-local crowd that Lucci was really doing it right and coaching this team right. Yet there's this uh, segment of the local fan base and or media that all think Lucci's goofing this thing up or questioning his his skill set. And I and I f- and and my response to that, and I think it was to you, Dan, which was it's that just was. a little bit of familiar fami- familiarity. Uh, and, and better understanding of what's going on. But I do have to agree with the concept that I'm not 100% sure there's any coach out there that was going to f- uncover a better team out of the roster that Lucci's been given. I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, someone, uh, when I posted that, someone responded to it with just Lucci out, and I was like, you know, sort of like, well, you know, what's your suggestion? Get a, get a better coach. So I was like, so Perea? No. So, well, who? Because Pep Guardiola's not going to take, you know, you can only polish a turd so much. Well, everybody should just, everybody should point out that it appears that all the new openings in MLS are being filled by a coach that just got let go by another team. So it's just a circular of the same coaches over and over. Yeah, Toronto's about to get Ben Olsen. LA's getting Greg Vanny. Yeah. Well, and who knows you, Atlanta will get. You know, remember the last time when Lucci was hired, don't forget that Todd Ramos was in for this job, right? He was up for it. Yeah. And and then presumably all of a sudden at the last minute, he was like, I'm out. And the Hunts were like, oh, well, yeah, okay. We were kind of talking, you know. Well, what happened was I'm sure that he found out how much the job got paid. And so he's like, oh, forget that. You know, presumably. So, you know, again, it's this organization. And don't forget, of course, that how incredibly unprepared Lucci was for this job. I mean, we've talked about it, and I don't mean to be rude to the guy. He's a great dude. I like him personally. But there's no way he was qualified and ready for this job. He'd never coached an adult, never coached a pro. Well, Peter Lucine, so- his assistant, is far more qualified than Lucci is. It's ridiculous. So every game he's learning. and he's he the first one to say that. Yeah. He was only on the radio earlier today saying, hey, look, I wasn't supposed to be the, in this job. I was supposed to be coaching the second team. But – Things happened. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, uh, any, uh, I'm trying to figure, you know, the other, one of the performances that I actually thought was, um, 
I was really rooting for, and I thought for a minute, I thought this kid was going to uh, pop in and assist. I was really impressed by Johnny Nelson and really pleased that the kid got his name called to, for a start in a playoff game. Because I think sometimes there's an impression that, that we beat him up pretty badly. Uh, but when reality, we're kind of fans of his and, and are rooting for him. Yeah, there's no question that he's the best defensive outside back on this team, either side. No question. You know, there's a reason why he's in there in the last few games, and it's because the guy next to him, the center back, is weak. It's a weak link in the back line. So they're, they're going with Johnny because Johnny is such a good defender that he makes Brisson better as a defender. You know, and so in this game, as the more Johnny's played, the more comfortable he gets. And there were actually moments where he tried to overlap and overload yeah, that corner. I saw it. Now, the, it broke apart every time. He didn't get the ball when he should have on those breaks, but he's doing it. He's trying to do it. Now, is he Brian? No, of course not. Brian's a converted forward. Johnny Nelson is trying, though, and he's by far the best defensive outside back on this team. Now, is he going to be the starting left back next year? Probably not, because this this system is 100% reliant on attacking outside backs. You know, And that stinks for Johnny that he's on a team that needs attacking outside backs. But in the game on the road, when you needed balance up front and needed a stronger defense in the back, he got the call. And it may be that he starts every road game next year and no home games. I mean, how crazy yeah. would that be? But, yeah, you know. I think, I think we all said it last year. If he was drafted by any other team in this league, he was the rookie of the year last year. But he happened to be drafted by a team that that needs outside backs to get forward. And that someone like Ryan Hollingshead is going to always succeed because for all the defensive frailties in his game, he gets forward he, and he creates opportunities, which is where FC Dallas generates a lot of chances. Yeah, I actually got a good chuckle out of Matt Doyle on that same uh, thing that I watched when he, he absolutely declared that uh, that uh, Johnny Nelson wasn't as good a defender as Ryan Hollingshead. That's insane. Oh, my gosh. That's somebody that hasn't watched any Dallas games. I know. I, I yeah. was really shocked to see Doyle say something like that. I think he's just working on some sort of a... Now, is Ryan a better fullback for this specific team in this tactical setup? Yes, but he's not a better defender than Johnny Nelson. Not, yeah, even, that's what, not that's even close. What, that's what I would say about it is like if, if you want to talk about his complete left game package when you combine the modern attacking flair of an outside back, yes, Ryan Hogshead is a better outside back than Johnny Nelson. But to say he's a better defender than Johnny Nelson is ridiculous. Yeah, and and and, and the thing that really kind of bummed me out for Johnny was, uh, to your point, Buzz, he was actually making the runs. He was in. There was a moment in the game, I think it was late in the first half, where he is standing wide open on the far side at the top of your television screen. There is nobody within twenty yards of him. Nobody, and nobody will throw him. Nobody will switch play and put the ball over there to him. And he had made a hustle run to get there in the first place. And I'm just looking at my television going why is nobody giving Johnny the ball and I you know I just felt bad for the kid because I thought he really put in a decent performance and and did what he was asked to do yeah we talk about progression on this podcast all the time and Johnny Nelson clearly is progressing on the offensive end which is terrific you know there's not necessarily a ton of confidence yet to use him as a fulcrum of the offense from the rest of the team but that that'll come with time it's part of a process for that kid he's working on the weak link in his game it's getting better and we love that when a guy we like in one aspect is working on the other aspect to make himself a complete player. Um, guys, did uh, Rito Ziegler get any uh, make any headway in his a uh, let's see how you enjoy the Brisson experience now point he was uh, theoretically trying to make <laughs> to the front office? Well, 
I think Brisson played just about as good as Reto Ziegler has played over the over this season, this last few games from Brisson. You know what what he has done, however, is a hundred percent convinced me because both Ryan and Johnny have to play more narrow on that left side and the whole formation, including both wings are now impacted by that shift because the left center back is not good enough. Right. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter whether it's retro or Brisson, that position is not good enough. I mean, to say which one is better of the two options, that's not good enough. It's hard to really judge, but it's not, it wasn't any worse. Certainly. Yeah, no, I think, I think you completely nailed it. Um, You know, we've, we've been talking about for how, however long now that, Regardless of of who the the starting centre back is so, alongside Matt Hedges is that that's you know you've you've got to have some kind of adjustment and that's not necessarily a long term solution. So you mm. know what what does Reto really gain out of uh, of this compared to Brisson? Not a whole lot. I'm going to pay him the highest compliment. Uh, that would be Matt Jor- uh, Matt Jordan Matt Hedges. Uh, by you know not feeling a need to say anything about his game because he was as solid as ever, and that's the kind of way you want your center backs um, <laughs> in yeah. games like this. Uh, and that would leave us in the defense, uh, Jimmy Maurer. Uh Buzz, are you and I going to disagree about Morrow's performance Tuesday night? Well, he was good at the things he's always good at, which is communication and organization. Those were really, really good. And he had, to, he had to make two saves, and he made one, which, as you pointed out, was really nice. And then on the corner, he got screened and probably saw the ball late. But I just my my statement about that goal that he gave up was I bet you that in the locker room, Jimmy's saying, "Man, I'd like another shot at that one." That he would himself probably not feel like he got the best reaction on it. Remember now, reactions and athletic quickness, you know, like those instant close in saves or the or lateral quickness quickly to the right or left. That's Jimmy's weakness. Mm-hmm. And this was again, this was a goal that happened because of that weakness. So I think that that moment when you needed him to make the big, huge save, if you're going to win the game or stay in the game at that point, he didn't make it. So that was all. I just thought it was a, not a bad performance, but it's just an okay performance from him because of that miss. All right. So uh, somewhere late in the game, uh, substitutions start to happen and uh, they do a camera shot at the touchline. And there stands Santiago Mascara and all of my enthusiasm just drained out of my life force right there on the spot. And my question is, is substituting Santiago Mascara in at that moment, is that uh, is that a bad decision by Lucci, or is that just the reality of that's all he's got to work with? Well, I... Uh, Kitchen sink time. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're looking for a guy that can... Um, that can have like an individual moment and grab something then maybe Santi's a guy that can do that. You know, you can't get 90 minutes out of him and you maybe can't even get 20 or 30 minutes out of him. But if I can just get one moment out of him, maybe that's, that's the only thing I can think of in terms of why you would go to him there. Cause I didn't, I was amazed to see in, him, frankly. <laughs> in fairness, he nearly had that moment. He, he had that little drive into the box where the ball kind of rebounded back to him. He got to the end line and just, you know, and he did that that cross that Lucci was asked for, just drive it in, create chaos at the time when the team was trying to throw people forward. There's, there's not a lot more you can ask of him than, well, maybe to, to do it a couple more times. But You're defending Santiago Mascara way I more know, than I know, and I feel to. unclean. But, you <laughs> know, he, 
He did the, what he was supposed to do, really. The only moment of that game I remember from Santiago Mascara was when uh, there was a moment where Seattle is countering with the ball and Santiago is quote-unquote running to try to catch up the play, and he looked like uh, I, I, it was it was not good. But he'd been on the field for more than five minutes, so he's already peaked too soon. There's no way he's on this team next season. I know this is a, the next episode, but... Please tell me there's no way he's on this team next year. Oh, my God. He better not be. Yeah, surely not. Okay. Well, what you can lead to from that, Peter, is that one of the differences in this game, obviously, is the, is the big-time DPs. And uh, Seattle's big-time DPs weren't the difference in this game, but they're the reason why they were in first place. Not first place, second place. There's a reason why they're the higher-seeded team. Because the they're team. big guys – they're a really good team collectively in general because their big guys come through and, they, and the FC Dallas DPs, once again, are crap. And until you solve that problem, you know, and this game is a perfect example of it, you know, the, the big game, big paid players, Acosta was out, Hard didn't do jack, and Mascara was worthless. So it's like, if, until your DPs can do something for you, you're never going to advance and win titles in this league. Well, and. Just going back to it, I mentioned Ladero earlier. Sixth straight playoff game with an assist. Yeah. yeah. Didn't play particularly well, but he he managed to put that corner in the right spot. And it just so happened that Tiago Santos forgot how to walk and run and move. And uh, Shane O'Neill gets that free header. Wait, yeah, speaking of Johnny Nelson, Johnny Nelson, his attacker rounded the exact same screen and Johnny kept up with his attacker and Tiago Santos didn't. So, you know... <laughs> I wasn't. I would never have said Shadow Santos had a good game in this one in particular. Okay. On that play, he was smoking well, the screen. That was entirely his fault. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and that's why he put his heads in his his hand his head in his hands, and he knew it. Um, you know, now that we've had a season of Tiago Santos, and I and this may and, and again, I feel this exact same way about Santos, Ricarte, and Hara, which is as I do feel like there's a level of. Um, uh, you, you got to give the guys grade them on somewhat of a curve based on the fact of the way the season played out. And for at least Ricarte and Hara, they hadn't even been here for the entirety of that, this bizarre experience. Um, but are we still sold on Santos as a, as a holding midfielder for this team? I am for another year or two, mainly because, um, Surreal's not ready and there really isn't anybody else that can do it. Um, he did win the, he did lead the league in duels, which says something about his play, you mm-hmm. know, and I wonder how bad it would have been if you'd have been relying on Acosta who only could play half the games or Surreal or Tanner game after game, game after game, you know, is he Zavi Alonso? Not Zavi Alonso. What's the Alonso guy that's now in Minnesota? Uh, yeah. the, that Close Alonso, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not Chris Armis, you know, he's not, he's, he's not, not even Carlos Grezzo. I you think know. you have to kind of also look back to, to the start of the season because, you know, the, the reduced schedule was ridiculous. Right? First five games, Santos was the best player on the, on the field in each of those five games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, he brought a calming reassurance. You know, you mentioned Tanner Tessman playing out of pressure. That was what Santos was doing. He was yes. just making those little check passes. But he stopped doing out. that. Well, he, he stopped doing that when he's suddenly running around like a headless chicken playing two games a week and then he's dying on the sidelines. 
Yeah, I think you have to hope that in a regular balance schedule, when you're playing more often, only playing once a week, that he would hold up better. I mean, he is older. You know, he's got a couple of seasons left probably. So I think in a more spread out season, I, I'm, I'm hoping that in a more spread out season that he'll be back to that early season effectiveness. And as you know, as as one of the newer players in this team, and you remember Lucci wanted to use a, a double pivot quite early on because, like, he he has to learn the def- the way this team defends. You know, Lucci's talked a lot about the microcycle of having that entire week, and he's had maybe three of those since August at this point. So the the, the team's done nothing in terms of coaching, really. Yeah. So you know, you wanna you wanna have that guy. Joe Moore in his team, and you know, of the, he's definitely there over Hara. You know, let's, let's say that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the other thing that happened in this game that kind of caught me off guard was, I, 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 you know, a lot of people have felt like uh, the signing of Fafa Pico was this really sharp uh, roster move on Dallas's part, and I, I am by and large gone through this season going I do not understand how this they anybody thinks this guy solves the left wing problem for this team that they've had forever but then there were moments in this game where I was like looking at what Fafa was doing and thinking where has this been all season like making aggressive hard running drives with the ball over long distances of space now it didn't necessarily always turn into something but at least it was uh something different and I just wondered where that had been all season yeah, I think on paper, I thought it seemed like a really good idea, but he's terribly inconsistent. Um, I th- there were maybe three, including this one, there was a game earlier in the year, I think it was maybe Houston maybe. There were like three games where it was like, man, what a player, this guy's going to be the perfect answer. But then like the other 15, it was like, oh, you know, and then he was hurt and then, uh, you know. So I don't I don't think that he's the answer unless he can take this one game or in that other game and do it week after week after week, you got to be consistent. You can't just show up every once in a while. So, I mean, between him and Santi right now, there is no answer at left wing. No, definitely not. And I think that's kind of been an issue as well is, you know, you, you want to have a guy who's who's playing week in, week out, and he's he's not been that. He's been in and out of the lineup, whether it's for injury or just the they've wanted to, Lucci's wanted to try someone else in the spot. He's been pulled early in games when you're like hold on he's the fastest guy on the field and that's a defense that's wearing down maybe just keep going at it and 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 see um you know at 29 is he is he the guy no um can he be like santos can he be the guy that kind of bides you over for a couple of years and and lets you get down into you know, the next big transfer or the next big prospect. Yeah, quite possibly. Hmm. And that would take us to the last starter that we haven't talked about, which would be uh, the team hero, Ryan Hollingshead. And and what I've been trying to figure out in my tiny pea soccer brain buzz is moving Ryan up with – is that a is that an indication of Lucci really trying to figure out a way to make this team as defensive as, as de- defensively safe as possible, or was it a desperate move to put the only guy who was scoring consistently on this team a little further upfield? I think it's a question of having a balanced lineup. You know, they've been struggling to figure out how to perform on the road. And late in the season, they kind of realized that you have to be a little more grindy and gritty and a little more of a balance. You can't play your offensive-minded 
overloading Lucci ball on the road, obviously, based on the results anyway. So I think Ryan up front, uh, generally, when he's up front, he plays a more two-way game and does play more defense for a wing now, mind you. You know, especially compared to Barrios, who plays virtually no defense at all. Um, but I don't think in this particular game that he did that. You know, the whole thing he was on there for was to be able to play some defense on the right side of the field for the FC Dallas, and he didn't. He basically vacated the right side of the field. And so, you know, once they put him at left back, he was much better back to his normal left back self. And then he was a good component of the game. You know, so I, I think it was about the balance. I mean, he he mentioned it was about the balance, and Ryan mentioned that it was about the balance of of – of his, his ability to play two ways, both of those guys in the week leading up to the game. So I, I'll take them at their word on that. Okay, so that leads me to this question, which was the late introduction of Michael Barrios, who comes on the field and suddenly does his little sparky bulldog uh, thing that uh, we know and love, or at least know, maybe not everybody loves, and moves, as you said, Ryan back to left back. And the team did seem to come a bit to life which leads everybody to ask the question, why didn't Barrio start to begin with? Well, that's the answer is because he doesn't really play a lot of defense. You know, I mean, I, I think at his age and with his, he start, he's clearly visibly to me starting to lose a step. You know, this super sub role with like 20 or 30 minutes out of him when you're chasing a game or need a goal, I think that's the role for him from now on. I mean, I don't think, I honestly don't think you can start him anymore. You know, you've learned, you've learned down the stretch, you know, that in the key games that really mattered, they sat him on the bench, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, he's the new Marvin Chavez. Is that what we're saying? That's what I'm saying, yeah. I think yeah. that's going to be – you know, if he has an option for next year, um, I have no idea what it is. It's probably pretty expensive, but, you know, so whether he's going to be back or not is an interesting question. I talked about it in my thing I wrote, which people can go look at if they want. Um, but the idea that, like, he's going to be, like, a 90-minute guy and get after people and play up and down the field, it's not going to happen anymore, I don't think. You know, and if you and if you have a guy like Reynolds behind him, and you're going up against a double sided attack like like Seattle does, you know, it was just too much of a defensive risk. And then of course Ryan didn't play defense, so it, they just got exposed. He might as well have, frankly, have started Barrios, given that Ryan didn't play the defense he was supposed to. Yeah, and I, I you know, there's a I, the part of that question d- does become why didn't Lucci do something about it when he saw Ryan not doing his job the way he was instructed? Well. I, a coach isn't likely to make a first half change, particularly I don't think a young coach well, because it's admitting you've made a mistake. But well, well, no, I'm not suggesting he should have substituted anybody out. What I'm saying is, Lucci is the talker, right? Like Lucci oh. gives TED talks on yeah, the yeah. sideline in the game. Why isn't he correcting that situation in real time? It's not that Ryan, I, I you know, that's one of the questions I have about how the tactics worked out in this game. Was yeah. Ryan just being bullheaded and not doing his job, or was there some sort of miscommunication about what he was supposed to be doing, and why wasn't that corrected in real time? I just that's one of the downfalls of the, of the game because to your point. You might as well have had Barrios out there based yeah. on how little Ryan played defense. I don't know the answer to that question, but it was so obvious that there was actually like a 10-minute stretch when Fafa Pico came over to the right wing, and they had two right wings at the same time for like 10 minutes. I don't know if you noticed it. It was ridiculous. You know, yeah. Basically, Ryan ended up playing like a 10 in the middle, almost like a diamond in the middle, and then Fafa just kept swip, sw- swapping wings as the only winger for quite a while. You know, And for most of the game – that left Reynolds completely exposed, you know, and Nelson got exposed a couple of times on the other side when Fafa switched. Seattle recognized it and went the other way, but you know, I don't I know. I do think there's a, there's probably an attacking component to, uh, to the Holland's head versus Barrios thing. You know, Barrios is very much, he runs straight line. Um, 
He is not faster than New Who. We saw that several times. Whereas, you know, Holland's head is, is kind of like he's going to get around, you know, you know, which I guess if he's in a more central position, he's going to kind of go in on the inside of New Who. So, I mean, I, I do wonder how much of that may have played into it. Yeah, good, good, good call. All right, so uh, anything else from any of the other subs that came in uh, on the game uh, other than maybe talking about that one final crushing uh, failure moment from Jesus Ferreira? I mean, I don't understand Jesus is a six. I mean, I, I get, I suppose, the idea is that he's going to make some pass from back there. You know, if you're going to put him in, you got to then throw him into the box. Like, leaving him back there as a six to me made no sense at all. Yeah, but uh, he did have an opportunity. He had that. They had that moment very late in the game where he had the ball out, kind of outside the box on the right hand side, and he just completely and so easily was dispossessed. And it was a, it was kind of a final crushing blow of the game because it was really one of their last opportunities to tie it up. Yeah, he looks like a guy whose confidence is shattered. So Lucy's going to have to repair it over the winter somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything else to say about it. I mean, it no, wasn't... I mean, I just I, that you, you say that in, in a very nonchalant kind of like, let's put the Legos to back together kind of way. And I yeah. just and I'm not convinced that that is necessary. Like I, I he not that he has the same kind of uh, necessarily off field issues. I just get a very Kellen Acosta vibe from his game at this moment. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is that. um he, his best game is really as a forward and this play in midfield all the time where he doesn't excel is really weighing on him. Um, I actually have a, I actually have a thought I wanted to bring up about Jesus um, and why Lucci likes him so much. Uh, Dan, you won't be able to answer this question because you weren't in the country, but Peter, did you watch Lucci play at SMU ever? Um, you know, that's a really good question. I'm sure I saw him play at some point, but I don't recall it. He, he, he wasn't a player that stood out in my mind or I remember, uh, I have a recollection yeah. of no. Well, he won the Herman. The guy was a baller, but. Oh no, <laughs> I'm, thing, I'm yeah, not yeah. saying, right. I don't read. I'm just saying I don't recall. Yeah. Well, uh, if you could recall it, what you would recall is that he is Jesus Ferreira. They play the same way. So I think, I think Lucci sees mm-hmm. himself in Jesus. They're both this. Uh, you know, poacher, box scrambler, off striker, jetting forward out of midfield. They play the same game. So I literally think that Lucci sees Jesus in himself. And so he thinks that Jesus can do pretty much anything because, of course, Lucci probably thinks he himself as a player could have done all kinds of things. Now, Jesus is better than Lucci, don't get me wrong. But, you know, stylistically, they play the same. So it occurred to me that this week that that's one reason why I think Lucci likes him so much. But, there's a good relationship there, and I'm confident that with some time and playing in the proper positions, like if he goes to camp, like it's not official yet, but I think he will now that they're out. If he goes to camp and Bearhalter uses him as a nine again, you know, I think he'll probably get some confidence from that and be able to come back. You know, if he comes into the spring and Lucci's like, okay, kid, you're back up front because I got everybody healthy now or whatever, like that'll go a long way to rebuilding the kid. He is only 19, 20, whatever he is now. Yeah. So. Um, okay. So I think anything else specific player wise, uh, that we want to uh, get into, uh, from the, from the, the game. I think that's all I got. I don't know. Dan, what do you got? Oh, Dan's nah. got nothing. Nah. Um, I, I, so I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Dallas didn't deserve to get anything from this game based on the performance or, or does anybody think that maybe Dallas was done a little hard by the one though result. 
No, no, I, I thought it was fair. They didn't have enough in the final moment when it mattered. I mean, it would have been if they had gotten that pinged one off the post and gotten the rebound. It would have been, you know, great. Wow, exciting! That's awesome. But I don't think you could say they deserved it. No, Dan. No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, the the narrative is uh, Seattle definitely didn't have the finest game, uh, and I think a lot of people in in Dallas are kind of like, "Wow, it was only one nil." Hmm, good. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I guess uh, in summation, and, and a lot of this may go towards a different, uh, uh, you know, the next podcast, but do you, and I'll start with you, Dan, do you think this team was better than last team, last year's team? Uh, I think it was more complete. Uh, there were a few, damn, that's really put me on the spot. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, bit, a little more complete. I think the midfield is more, more cohesive. I think you've got a, a better, a better option on on the left wing than you had last year. I think there's a direction and and more of a stamp on this team from from both technical director and coach. Okay, Buzz. Uh, I think it's not better. I think it's the same. You know, one of the key things we said coming into this season that would be important for the team progressing would be the youngsters progressing. And Reggie left and Brian progressed, which looked great, but he's about the same, you know, in total value as where Reggie is when Reggie left. So he's going to leave. Paxton missed the whole year, basically. And Jesus regressed. So it's like the only bright youngster. Well, yeah, but wait, before you move on, don't forget to talk about Cervania and Cerillo. I know. Right. Well, Cerillo didn't, Cerillo didn't progress and Cervania regressed. And the only person that came forward other than Reynolds was Tessman. So we talked about how, but that was a new signing and, and it's still 18 and still is not a for sure starter. He's only a Finland starter so far. And so, Pepe. you know, a, a big, we talked about how big and important it was for the the main guys we talked about at the time were Jesus and, and uh, Paxton and how much the team was going to rely on those guys taking a step forward. And they didn't. So the team's basically the same as it was at the start of the year. Basically it hasn't progressed any, it swapped out a couple of pieces and there's a couple of things that are nice Maybe going forward, but this it's it's not any better right now than it was a year ago. So Dan, uh, you know, we we posted online a couple of weeks ago that kind of year by year summation of this club's history of playoffs, whether they were in the playoffs or not, and if they were in the playoffs, how the twenty four previous years kind of ended. If you were to write the little summation of how the playoffs uh, went for FC Dallas in twenty twenty, how would you write that? I mean. Probably did more than was expected. Still nowhere near. I think you've really summed up much, you know, much of another way. Is if if that team was to make the conference final, they would have had the they would have had the toughest path out of anyone in the MLS Cup playoffs. Um, and it's it's still not a team that that's really fit to compete with those top teams. Buzz, did this team outperform itself, play about exactly what we thought, or underperform this season? Underperform for the same reason, uh, mostly that mostly the Hastings' regression and Paxton's injury. You know, I mean, the team in the end, as uh, I can't remember which famous football coach it is that says this, it's, you are what you. I think it's Parcells. You are what your what the, your record says you are. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Like all this yeah. other talk about, we could be this, we could be that. Well, you're not, you know, you play the games and you get your record and you are what you are. And so until they take some sort of meaningful step forward to get into the top three in the West, it's going to be very difficult for them to win enough road games in the playoffs to get out of the West. It's just not going to happen, you know, unless you get some freak confluence of events, like does occasionally happen with Colorado in 2010, as an example, right. everything lined up and they want it. I mean, that could happen hypothetically, but you know, until you, until your ownership figures out how to get DPs that perform and it, or, and, and until the kids that you've built your whole system on progress enough to take you into the top end and competing with LAFC, Seattle and Portland, you know, and, and who knows when the galaxy will be back, you know, unless you can get, do something to get into the mix with those guys. Oh, and sporting Kansas city, who was all they're really good against, you know, they got to crack that group consistently and they're not going to do it unless they get some compression or some better DPs. Okay. Now, I think I'm correct in saying that Lucci said at the beginning of the season his goals were to get to a to, to win a playoff game and get to that next game. So, and you do we believe that Lucci thinks this was a successful season? No, he said what he said was it was the goal was to host a playoff game. And uh-huh. so he's already said that by that measure that no it was not that they did not get that home playoff game and so that he was disappointed that they didn't make that progression. They were happy that they won a game, which is nice, but we all know that single games are a crapshoot. So the big picture goal was to be better enough and higher in the standings enough to get that home game. And they didn't. So he already has said that it wasn't. All right. Well, let's, uh, well, so as we said, uh, Seattle won Dallas zero, uh, a 25th season that ends without an MLS cup. And Dag Nabbit, I just want one, just one. Can, you know you'll be if, gritty. Just one, you'll want another. No, you'll get no, gritty I, for it. I, I, I have said this on the on the radio show, and I will repeat it here. When or if they win the one MLS Cup, I will never bitch. I swear to you. I swear on whatever <laughs> relative's grave you want me to. I'll put my house lean uh, title up on it. Whatever. I will never bitch about this club again if they just win one. They can. They could field a. Uh, they could field under twelves for the rest of time. For all I care about, I just want one MLS Cup. Well, see, one of the reasons why I am the way I am in regards to FC Dallas is that for the first 25 years of my life, the thing I wished for in soccer terms was to have a local Division One team that was pretty consistently good. And that's what FC Dallas is. They don't ever win it, but that's not what I was wanting. I only wanted to have a team to go watch that played pretty good soccer for most of the time. And so that's one reason why I think I'm not quite as angry sometimes as you are about when not the failure to win a cup. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would really love one, but it's not killing me that they don't. So you're like the American version of Dan and Luton town is what you're telling me. Well, you know, supporter shields to me are really important because it means that over the course of the season, you were a good team. Now, listen, I'm not saying it's an MLS cup. I don't want to start that argument with you again, Peter. I'm just saying that like, I put a lot of value. I'm right. And you're wrong. No, I know you're correct in the macro <laughs> sense, but I'm talking about myself and like my own personal enjoyment is that week to week to week, I have a team that goes out there that I get to go and watch that is usually pretty good. And FC Dallas over 25 years has usually been pretty good. So I, I'm not upset that they have never won the cup. They got two open cups and they got a sword yeah. shield. It makes me pretty happy, generally speaking. Yeah, it sounds like you're in a loveless and sexless marriage too. 
That's yeah, all I'm well, saying. I mean, I'm not. I'm just. Not, I just like I'm a football not talking team. about. <laughs> just talking about your relationship with the club, not oh, with Amy. I thought no, maybe you were talking saying, to Amy. Yeah. No, no. Well, we do need to have a conversation. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no, I'm just saying the way you describe your relationship with FC Dallas feels a lot like mine too. I mean, yes, I enjoy that there's a club for me to go watch yeah. and 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 do this and talk about, but I also feel like it, the, the, the excitement level over it or whatever has. Has certainly uh, waned over the years, and I don't feel like the the that part of the that side of the relationship is doing very much to uh, keep the spark going. If you know what I mean. Well, you're a Man U fan, and I'm a Newcastle fan, but maybe that tells you what all you need to know. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Dan, would you like to settle this uh, debate with any kind of uh, smart British insight? Yeah, if, if you uh, if you if you're just interested in trophies, bugger off and go to Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> get him, Dan. No, I mean it's it's the thing, right? Uh, you know, people people in in Dallas and Frisco and Denton, wherever they support FC Dallas, because it's their hometown team, not because it's the league champions. Uh, sure, you know. I, I, no, I support them because they're my hometown team, and I've been supporting them since day one. Uh, trust me, I'm as just as much Dallas till I die as the next guy. I'm just saying I would like to see them win the MLS Cup once. Oh, I mean, everyone would. I mean, my my thing is, and, and you mentioned Luton, Luton's a perfect example because, you know, we were the team that voted to establish the Premier League when we were in the old Division One in its last season and then got relegated and have never played in the Premier League. Um, you know, and we've been up and down the leagues and, and God knows what else. And you know, soccer is very much the haves and the have-nots. You can kind of control what you can control. Uh, which is funny because that's a Luchism. Um, you know, for me personally, I just want to see FC Dallas do what it can. And, and you know, when I mention things like Ladero costing $6 million and the $6 million wasted on four players who've contributed absolutely nothing, uh, incidentally, half of that was Mosquera. Um, <laughs> you know, those are the controllables. That you can just, hey, let's get this two million guy, and then this two million guy, and then this two million guy. Well, why not just combine that and then save up for that one guy that you're not going to sell. You're not going to get your return on investment in cold, hard cash, but your return on investment is going to be a good run at MLS Cup, maybe Cup itself. Control the controllables like market well, do you know, create a good fan experience, all those things. That's that. That's the success that that I want to see. I don't want to. The people who are like, who say, oh, well, why, why didn't FC Dallas pony up uh, 14 million for, for Chicharito when he had that one good season? Well, you know, that, that's that's the unrealistic thing. When, when I say if you want to chase trophies, bugger off to Seattle. All right. I will say that is well said. Thank you. Uh, moving on to other stuff, as it's labeled here, with handwritten in crayon with some stars and uh, Why is space the R backwards? I don't know. It's weird. It's uh, maybe, maybe Buzz is dyslexic. I don't know. Uh, it says here um, something about Mr. Tessman. Are we going to lose Tanner Tessman along with Brian Reynolds in the offseason? And, and I'm really going to be, and it's just going to continue to you know, push that uh, that weird wound. No, not this winter, no. Probably next winter. Let's say if, if, that, if that rumor was true, it would be the first thing that MLS transfers has ever got right. 
Yeah, well, let, let's. I, I can't offer any specific validity to that particular tweet in the sense of like the teams that were named, but you can rest assured, and this is fundamentally true of any player that is good enough to be signed out of a MLS academy as a teenager. There are scouts all over this country from foreign teams, some independent and some work directly for the teams. So anybody that good, anybody that won an MVP in the DA Cup, those guys are on the radar of these big teams. So like to say that no one knows who Testament is or this link is garbage, well, it doesn't matter who the specific teams is. This, the answer is that there are teams in Europe that are tracking FC Dallas players, whether it's Tanner Testament or whether it's Dante Seeley or whether it's Justin Shea. These guys, Justin Shea with German Passport, these guys are known, <laughs> even Edwin Surreal, these guys know who they are. If you're in the youth national teams, those countries and those scouts know who these kids are and they're watching tape. So if you're good enough at 18, 19 years old to be starting for an MLS team, even if it's not every game, starting for a playoff game, those teams, I guarantee you, are tracking these kids. And so a player like Tanner is working his way into the lineup and might be a full-time starter next season or the season after. At some point in the next year or two, they're going to think about buying him because, and I I hate to trash Paxson again because I'm not actually trashing him, but Tanner is what six two six three, and can run and cover ground and has great touch like Paxton and great passing skill and vision just like Paxton. But Paxton's five six and tiny and is hurt all the time. And Tanner's a bull and can do and smashes people. So that's appealing. So the chances that Tasman's going to play here more than a year or two more than this are basically zero. So enjoy it just like you do Brian Reynolds while it lasts and understand that he's going to be gone probably sooner than later. Yeah, I think it would be it will be interesting in a short amount of time when we're all looking at each other going, holy crap, Tanner Tessman went to Europe before Paxton did. It won't surprise me at all, in fact. I think Paxton will be here for years. Hmm. Yeah, I, we'll say that at one point he'll be team captain someday and yeah. a career FC Dallas guy. I, I love Paxton. I think he's a phenomenal player. But if you don't if – if a person can't look at those two guys and understand why – a team would see Testament and think there's some stuff I can work with there that I can't get in my own Academy. That's what, that's the same with Reynolds. You know, you don't buy Reynolds for $7 million because of what he did this weekend. You buy him because you watched the tape over the year and you go, Oh my gosh, look at all this raw stuff. If I bring him to my club for a year or two, maybe he's Alfonso Davies too. Now he, I don't think he'll ever be Alfonso Davies too, but that's the gamble these guys are willing to make for five, six, seven million dollars, as opposed to somebody like Paxton, you know, who's or or anybody else that you can think of that has come through the academy that is not this kind of physical specimen that's going to draw the eyes. All right, and that's a good segue, Buzz, because here on the handwritten run sheet, and uh, it's highlighted in yellow, <laughs> yeah. Reynolds update. So, what is there anything new on the big Huntsman dump for last last yeah, week? Yeah, it does on, say uh, it does say Reynolds update question mark. But oh, uh, okay. yes, there is there is some news. the highlighter kind of rubbed out the yeah, question out. mark. So. Yeah, um, since the Juventus story went up, there have been. Uh, over a handful of more teams that have come in uh, and called and been like, what's the number, you know, and, and had dialogues <laughs> with the agents and that kind of thing. So it's no longer just Juventus playing. I mean, they already had a couple of teams before that, but Juventus was a different level. Well, there now there are more different levels. So it's heating up, you know, and it's going to be some bidding going on and, and teams are that are calling are determined to 
make waves, you know, and, and get in on this kid because of the very fact we just talked about, you know, is the potential. You know, no one's buying him for what he did playing for SC Dallas because they these teams all think MLS sucks. You know, they're looking at a kid like, I'm going to turn this kid into a superstar, you know, and that's where you're getting the teams that are coming in are names that everyone likes soccer, even the littlest bit, will know of, you know, and we'll see what happens as it shakes out. It's going to happen pretty quick. It'll happen over the next couple of weeks, I think. That's what I mean by quick, is by the end of December, I think it'll be done and dusted. That'll be kind of a bummer that uh, maybe his worst performance would have come in his last game, but we would all certainly uh, wish the best for Brian and we'll look forward to seeing his uh, career progress in in the big leagues, as they call them. At Kenilworth the other- Road for $800,000, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing that happened this week that I, I thought was fascinating to watch Twitter and social media react to was the uh, roster purge by North Texas SC People freaking out that all of these players that people thought were up and comers now suddenly aren't even part of the club anymore. Well, I thought it was funny. You could tell the people that listen to the podcast and don't because we talked about it coming like two weeks ago on the podcast. And some people were like, what? I was like, dude, listen to the podcast. Um, yeah. You know, we, we've been talking about these guys from North Texas for a long time. But the reason that they are in North Texas and not homegrowns is because there's a deficiency in their game on some level. You know, and they have to make some sort of progression to get themselves into the thinking. So the people that have been purged out of the team are the ones that FFC Dallas and the staffs of collective both teams have decided are not in the picture and will not have a progression to the first team. There's a two-year window, give or take, for guys. And so Arturo Rodriguez, uh, uh, Breck Evans, Ronaldo Damos, these guys have just have been determined to not be up for the league level, for the MS level, the FC Dallas level. So they're going to be moving them on and the club of course will do their best to help the kids out and try and get them landing spots. But um, you know, North Texas is a harsh mistress. They're not trying to build a roster for themselves. Their only purpose is to build a roster for Dallas. So if there's not a progression, like let's use Derek Waldeck as an example, the left back who we don't think is probably good enough in the end, but he showed a progression over the course of the season. He got better and better and better, became a big leader for that team and became one of their more effective players by the end of the season. Okay, that's a progression worth keeping. You know, will he get to MLS? I don't know. Next year, if he doesn't progress next year, then we'll know the answer to that question. But that's what it's all about. And and these guys that have been big parts of their championship run were not continuing to make development in their game so that it didn't look like they're going to be MLS players. And so it's time to move on. Uh, The question that that kind of rose in my head when I saw this, and again, you're right, Buzz, I wasn't totally uh, surprised by the news, which is should people read this as the club overall, and by club, I mean the overarching uh, entity, not just North Texas, feels like they've got replacement players that actually have larger upsides than the four players they let go? No. No, they don't have players ready. They don't have players with larger upsides. It's just a, it's just a simple fact of we have we took two years and we put two years into you and we haven't seen enough to think you're going to make it. So good but, luck, but young if you, man. But if you don't have somebody that's as good with a higher upside to replace them, then why not give them another year? Because it because if you think the player doesn't isn't going to make it, there's no reason to keep them. Because it, at some point, you just try somebody else. You know, you've had your run. So even if I have a guy that maybe I'm not so sure about. Well, let's at least try him. Like I know the first guy's not the answer. If I even if I'm not sure the second guy's not the answer, I'll at least try him and see how it goes. And in the end, some that this is part of what they do too. Of course, is they're going to spend the winter 
traveling around and scouting. Like, you know, I know for a fact Quill's been going to some college scouting stuff. You know, they're looking for guys that maybe FC Dallas could even draft and then send down to this team. They're going to look at academy guys. They're going to look at, you know, other guys from other teams that maybe try some guys. You know, it's it's a constant churn in North Texas and is seeking an answer. And if the first guy is not the answer, then you try another guy. Yeah, Dan, I think you can provide some really good uh, perspective from somebody that grew up in a country that this is all very second nature and this is just how, you know, youth academies and working up through the progression to the senior team works. I, I mean, I think one thing to always keep in mind is, and I know, like, you know, among this massive purge, we're focusing really on, on four players, Arturo Rodriguez, Brooke Evans, Renato Damas, and, and Carlos Aviles. They're all guys that are like 22. You know, you look at most countries, are, you know, in the U.S. is, is different as the as it's slowly getting out of this reliance on college where guys are kind of sitting around on their ass until 22. But, um, you know, in South America, Central America, Europe, Asia, Africa, that's pretty old. You know, you, you physically stop developing soon after 18. You mentally stop developing at 24. So you've got, like you know, a two year window to really like grow as a, a pro and this and Lucci's talked about that before, about guys, you know, you get into twenty four and that that brain stops developing. Well you know, they've they've had their two years to look at whether there is that, that two year window is gonna really exist with these players and, and longer. You know, these are all guys that that left the academy and, and well, except for Avias. Uh actually Damas as well. You know, Arturo left the academy. He went away, and then they brought him him back for for North Texas to to see. I mean, really, as a, as a throwaway, and he just happened to really impress him much and and earn that extra year. So you know, the, I'm sorry, as I say, you know, and, and like Buzz was saying, you can you can get a bunch of guys like uh, someone like Alison DeSantos to uh, to see if you know if they're a good prospect as maybe a discovery signing down the line. And and then blood your young players, your, uh, your academy players, and and try and get them more adult soccer and get the get the elbows in from the thirty year olds that are playing in League One and and really toughen them up and and turn them into good footballers rather than like the the twenty two year olds that that are often coming out of college and they've never played against a, a real adult that's gonna absolutely beat the shit out of them for ninety minutes. And then on the last uh, handwritten uh, run sheet note, in this beautiful cursive, Hope Kodzo, a year later. Yeah, this is a story that I, that I told on the blog post, and I just wasn't sure if anyone would have read it. Um, you know, It's a po- story we've talked about, I've talked about for about a year. Basically, the 2019 Dallas Cup, there was a team from Ghana that had come in, um, which is a, a t- one of these hope and faith kind of teams that – they're bringing kids from these really rough, rough backgrounds and these really disadvantaged kids, and they're putting them all on the team, you know, undeveloped, uncoached, unacademied kind of kids, and they bring them over, and they're playing in the Dallas Cup. And the Dallas Cup, uh, a couple of those kids did really well, and Dallas scouted three of them. And they invited three of those kids, Hope Kozo and two other kids, to come into training and train with North Texas and train with FC Dallas, uh, which they did for, and they stuck around in, in, in the Metroplex from Dallas cup, which is like in April through to basically December of last year of 2019 training with the teams. Now, one of the kids blew his knee out and Dallas, uh, blew his ACL out. 
and Dallas helped him with the medical and the procedure and the start of rehab. And, but when the year ended, they all had to go home or went home. And then of course, COVID happened and no, nobody was able to get back into the country. And none of these kids at the time, of course, were 18. They were all 16, 17, whatever they were. Excuse me, hold on. <coughs> but Dallas really, really liked this Hope Kozo kid who's an attacking sort of midfielder or wing. And they wanted to, they wanted to sign him to North Texas when he turned 18. Well, it turns out that that was basically like a month ago that he turned 18. And sure enough, here he came and he came back and they brought him in. And he signed. He was intending, the intention was that he would have come back at the beginning of this year and sort of been around training like the whole time, but he couldn't get back into the country because of all the stoppages we have with from the disease and the pandemic. So I just think it's a really great story. And it's particularly unique because they gave him a three-year plus two options deal with North Texas. Now that's a huge deal for North Texas. That's a homegrown style deal, three plus two. It doesn't even matter what the money is. It's the length and the investment in a kid at North Texas. So it's different. It's a change. It's noticeable. It's unique things stand out. And it's a great story for a young guy who's going to get a chance here. And they're really, really high on him. And that contract tells you they're really, really high on him. And we'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting one to watch. And I think it's a great story. And uh, Dan, you and, and your cohort spent some time covering the Roja League uh, and, and, this, and, and for people that aren't listening, maybe catch everybody up as to what that is and, and what's, and, and what's happened so far. Yeah. So the Roja league is, uh, unfortunately the only live adult soccer you're going to get in, uh, North Texas for a little bit. Thanks Tiago Santos. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I don't know. I think buzz was blaming Morrow for that. So I don't know. I mean, a free well, head. Mauro doesn't play here anymore. I, no, Maurer. Oh, sorry. Maurer. I, I said so. Maurer. I said Maurer. Yeah, that, yeah, don't do a Taylor Twelman on this. It's Maurer. That's right. Jimmy. <laughs> Otherwise, Pablo Maurer will come and actually behead you. Um, what? Oh, do you not remember know. during the game, he he was on Twitter, like, absolutely losing his mind that his surname was being butchered as much as anything? Mm. No. <laughs> Roja League. Yeah, so Roja League. Uh, <laughs> Um, Denton, Fort Worth, all those all those local teams get together and, and, and play a competition this year. I would say this year. The uh, first one was was earlier in the season. Denton's uh, Estudiantes team, uh, just a team of college based kids, uh, ran away with it and, and shocked the well, not the world, but you know, a small portion of the Metroplex. Um, so it's back for the uh, whatever winter is in Spanish. That's that's the name of this one. Uh, moved up to eight teams. You've got Denton Diablos, Estudiantes, Fort Worth Vaqueros, uh, Premier Legends from UPSL Irving FC, who are going to UPSL, I believe. NPSL. NPSL, that was it. And yep. um, 4-0. Foro and Harrington FC and Innocentes, that was the other one. I could have just scrolled down to the table where I could have read it all in a list. That yeah. would have been smart. Um, match day one came about. Uh, Estudiantes and Foro FC was probably was the, was the game I would have loved to have seen because I think that is honestly the two best rosters in the competition. And Estudiantes won 5-2. Hmm. Uh, Vaqueros had a really disappointing 0-0 against Irving FC. Denton Diablos won their game. Going into uh, week 
two. If you want to hang out on Saturday, I'm going to be at Four O Sports Club in North Dallas covering both of those games. Yeah. Are you getting paid for this appearance? I mean, I I paid ten dollars for my ticket because oh, I thought okay. you know got to give back and all that. Right. Exactly. Sport okay. Local soccer. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, crap. What was I going to say? I can't remember who the game is now. But uh, two games in in they're they're trying to do a doubleheader each of the eight weeks, and this week it's the North Dallas one. Uh, Denton Diablos will be playing in in Denton. So, uh, oh, I think it's uh, Diablos versus Estudiantes in Denton this week. So yeah. that will be the fun one if if you're in Denton and, and want to catch a game. Be it'll be excellent. Uh, that Estudiantes team is is fantastic. Denton Diablos no slouches either with uh, with the Partain brothers and a couple others there. Um, def- definitely catch it up. Oh, catch it up. Catch, check it out. Sorry, English is really difficult as an Englishman. <laughs> There's such high expectations on us. <laughs> okay, so all of that aside, uh, now we uh, look forward uh, to next week. And so next week, Buzz, we're going to sit down and have a, a, a heart-to-heart discussion about what? Well, how the team moves forward, like what we expect. By then, we should have some roster decisions because it's supposed to. They, they should have had to turn in their roster moves today. You know, they, they have to notify everybody and probably have their exit interviews, and then you'll hear the announcement of it. So by the time we do another podcast, we'll have some moves happening. And so then we can talk about, you know, how you build going forward and what kind of players they might need and some changes we think are coming for next year. And we'll sort of set up the winner and see where we are in terms of what what our expectations, excuse me, what our expectations are for the winter and for the team. Hey, when do we start uh, making predictions on what the new uh, away jersey looks like? Uh, we can do that next week if you want. It'll be a nice add-on, including the new and, and and because I is is it official now that Abacare is now no longer the jersey sponsor of FC Dallas? Yeah, Dan's the the kit guy, but it moves over to the arm or Abacare does. Yeah. Okay, so we will get an official new, uh, and we can talk about who we think that will be next week. I suppose. Sure. sure why not? Just want to tease a little bit here. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, anything else? Going once, going twice. Nope. Mesquite Outlaws not doing jack this season. Okay. Oh yeah, taking the season off. Yeah. No. I thought that was already official. I didn't realize that was uh, that that was made official. I had tweeted. I, I tweeted out. I was I was hearing that that was going to happen, but it was now official. So it is yeah, now. The league uh, released a statement where five or six teams are setting out the season. And they're having yeah. to move to uh, this Central Cup thing because they've got the smallest uh, lineup of teams in yeah. league history. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, no mosquito outlaws, but the Dallas sidekicks will uh, will be there. Okay. All right. Well, uh, sorry, kids. Season over. Year twenty five. No MLS Cup, but there's always next year. So thank you, Dan. Appreciate your thank time. You. Buzz, as always, excellent season and work by you, my friend. Thank you. Let me remind you real quick that uh, Third Degree the podcast is brought to you by Soccer Ninety. 40% off site-wide for all Third Degree Podcast listeners. Promo code ThirdDegree on Soccer90.com. I'm going to go get myself a uh, Zlatan jersey. Hey, 40% is a pretty nice discount, my man. It is. Yeah. No, you don't wag a stick at that for sure. All right. Well, thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. Uh, we appreciate you, and we will speak to you next week for another fun-filled edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Subscribe to Patreon. Third Degree. The third degree net podcast. Third degree. The 